0: You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. This is the uh, next sermon in the series that we are doing on, on marriage, um, relationships. So here's how I want to begin. Have you ever considered, not from your experience, perspective but from God's perspective how awful it is to deal with us (laughs) you me all of us here's the storyline from God's perspective God exists in a perfect union and communion father son holy spirit he has no needs His angels perfectly obey. He's glorified all the time. Everything's been good from eternity past. That's a long time. And then God decides, well, I'm going to make a planet. And He says, you know what? I'll make a guy and I'll have him enjoy that planet. This is our first father, Adam. Adam, here you go. Nice planet, nice weather. Uh, Everything's perfect. You're perfect. But God says it's not good for you to be alone, so I'll make you a woman. Not just any woman. What kind of woman? Perfect woman. I'll give you a perfect woman, put you in a perfect place. Everything will be perfect. You can enjoy everything that I've created. You get to do whatever you want. There's only one thing that you can't do. Don't partake of this particular tree because that'll get you in trouble. Just walk around it. Here comes Eve. Wedding ceremony. All's well. Turn the page. (laughs) Boom. It goes from wedding to war. They separated themselves from God. They sinned against God. They disobeyed God. They ruined creation. They shipwrecked their relationship. God comes down to have a conversation with Adam. Well, at first, Adam's hiding. When he finally gets around to talking to God... He blames it on the woman, kind of blames it on God. Lord, everything was good until you made this woman. So then imagine you're God. You're like, okay, I made this planet. I made two people, and they've both blown it. That's all I've got to work with, just two people, and they both have blown it. Well, okay, now they've got sons. So maybe there's a little hope of their sons, Cain and Abel, Cain, not a great kid, Abel, a really good kid, so I'll work through Abel. Oh, no, wait, Cain wax Abel. So all of this continues for a while. Everybody's only evil and wicked all the time. You get to Genesis 6, and it says that God's heart is grieved because he sees our heart. He knows that we think evil all the time. So God decides that's it, I'm gonna send a flood. But Noah, how about I give you a shot? You and your family, you build a boat and I'll spare you if you obey me. God saves them by grace, God gives them his righteousness, God gives them a plan, eventually, The waters recede. Noah gets out of the boat. Immediately, he wants to build a place for them to live. He plants an orchard and waits for the grapes to grow. And he turns the grapes into wine so that he can get drunk and pass out in a tent. This is a good guy, right? This is the first redneck in the history of the world. He gets drunk and lays in a tent naked. Story continues. The guy named Abraham... All right, so we'll love and bless him and tell him and his wife that they are gonna have a baby and through that baby will eventually come the Savior. He will bless all of the nations of the earth and Abraham's like, nah, I'd rather commit adultery. And he gets another woman pregnant. And then twice he tries to give his wife away. How many of you women are thinking that's at least once too many? And how many of you at this point Would be like, you know what? If I'm God, I'm just going to set the whole earth on fire. That's it. You know what God does? He waits about 1,800 years from that point. All the sin, rebellion, death, folly, bad religions, brutal dictators, all of the broken marriages, absolute crises. And the father and the son decide it's time. So the son, the Lord Jesus gets off his throne and enters human history. God becomes a man to walk among this fallen, cursed, brutal world, to show us how to love, to show us how to live, to show us how to forgive. And you know what we do? We hate him, we harass him, we despise him. Religious people are constantly after him. It even gets to the point where his disciples abandon and betray him. He is absolutely falsely accused, falsely tried, and you know what happens? He's going to be murdered. The sinless, perfect, loving, forgiving God who has put up with us, he goes to the cross to die the most shameful, brutal, painful death that could be imagined. And while Jesus is hanging on the cross, one of the things he says is, Father, what? Forgive Forgive them. Father, forgive them. How many of you would not say that? How many of you would rather say something else, but you can't because you're in church? Father, forgive them. Jesus is talking about forgiving his enemies who are murdering him and have have been rebelling against him since day one. And then he says something else. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22.1. And then at the most inexplicable moment in human history, Jesus takes upon himself all of human sin. He substitutes himself in our place. He pays our penalty and debt of death to the Father. He puts himself in our place, and he puts us in his place. So to him goes the condemnation. So what comes to us is salvation. He takes on unrighteousness, so we get his righteousness. And he literally trades places with us. At that moment, we are forgiven. Three days later, he rises and what goes forth is a message of forgiveness. 2,000 years later, here we are. And the essence of Christian faith is the forgiveness of sins through the personal work of Jesus Christ. In our creeds, we even say we believe in forgiveness of sin. So today I want to talk about healing from past hurts. And the only way you can do that is through forgiveness. So the first question is what is forgiveness? In the most famous prayer in the history of the world, Jesus tells us how to pray. It's in Matthew chapter 6. This then, Jesus is speaking, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. I think there's a line missing. Hallowed be your name. Oh, sorry. Nope, it's there. It's not there. Oh, well. It's not missing here. Okay. So... Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. The other place in scripture that that prayer recorded as in Luke 11. The only difference is in place of where Matthew 6 has debt, Luke 11 uses the word sin. So biblical language, sin and debt are synonymous. Here's what happens then. We sin against God, and that means we accrue a debt. The question is, who will pay Who will pay for that sin? Who will pay for that debt? Well, either we pay by going to hell, or Jesus goes to the cross and substitutes himself in your place for your sins, and he pays the debt. So what forgiveness is, it's the canceling of a debt. So let me say it this way. How many of you don't like paying your bills? You know what, this is, this is one thing that Christians and non-Christians alike can agree upon. We don't like paying our bills. You get bills, you get a little anxiety because you realize how much debt you have. You get the mail and you're like, oh my, here's what I owe the credit card company and the mortgage company. and Here's what I owe the utility company and my loan for the student loans and, and loan for the car and on and on. And let me ask you, how would you feel? if every lender that you were indebted to noted at the bottom of the bill paid in full, that there is a generous benefactor somewhere and they have decided to pay all your debts for the rest of your life. You will get a total of your debts, but you'll never owe anything because it's all paid in full. You'd be blown away. Some of you would even skip Guys, as old as me, you would skip to. we We'd be that happy. Now imagine this. <coughs> imagine that God sent you a bill every month. Okay, here's your thought bill. Oh, you know my thoughts? Yes, and I don't sleep, so I know your dreams too. <laughs> Uh-oh. Here's your word bill. Here's all the words you've said. Here's your deed Bill, here's all the bad things you did and all the good things you were supposed to do but didn't. Here's your financial debt. You were supposed to spend your money this way and instead you spent it this way. So imagine every month God sends you a bill. It gets bigger and bigger. And Jesus paid your debt in full. The stuff you did in the past, you can't pay him back. Stuff in the present, stuff that you're going through right now. In the future, stuff you haven't even gotten to. You're so busy with your current sin, you haven't gotten to the future one yet. That'll that'll come. So, your past, your present, your future sin, all forgiven, paid in full. Nothing you can do to lose your salvation, nothing you can do to lose God's love. How many of you would say, That's good news? That's exactly what it is. You're forgiven. Jesus has paid the debt. You don't still owe God. So here's my next question. We'll make this a little more personal. Who has sinned against you? We just established that we've all sinned against God. Who has sinned against you? Now this is where the message gets a little more personal, a little more practical and maybe emotional. Who has failed you? Disappointed you? hurt you, wounded you, scarred you, altered your life course, affected your well-being? Who has betrayed you, taken advantage of you, lied about you, abused or used you? I'm not just talking minor things. These are major things. Who has sinned against you? Here's what it says in 1 Peter 4.8. Love covers a multitude of sins. So, granted, there are minor offenses. You know, how many of you in a relationship and you realize, you know what, there's just some stuff we need to let go of. I need to let go of it because it's really not that big of a deal. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And if we have this relationship where all we do is wear striped shirts and blow whistles on each other, that calls for a miserable relationship, right? And maybe some of you are married to that person. We're not talking about just minor offenses. We're talking about things that are such a big deal that God had to die for them. When there's someone that you love and opened your life to, spouse, family, friend, neighbor, coworker, spiritual leader, parent, grandparent, someone that was supposed to be trustworthy and safe and they hurt, betray, disappoint you. This is where your bitterness and unforgiveness comes in because you had a higher expectation for that relationship. Who did God bring to mind? A face, a name. Is it someone in your past? Is it someone in your present? So then the question is, why should I forgive them? (laughs) Because immediately, when I say that they've sinned against you, And you're thinking, I don't know where the pastor's going with this. I'm going to have to forgive them. All of a sudden, there's this small attorney that rises up in you. And and, and you're called to mind, you know what? Here's all the things they said. Here's all the things they did. And it's guilty, guilty, guilty. Colossians 3, the apostle Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are God's chosen, holy. That means set apart, sacred, something different than the way of the world. And you're dearly loved. That's a pretty impressive resume. From God to you, you're chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. Therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's kind of like a a mini fruit of the Spirit run here. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's why we forgive people. Because we are forgiven people. Forgiven people are to be forgiving people. What it doesn't say is forgive them because it's not a big deal. It doesn't say forgive them because it's okay. Forgive them because nobody's perfect. What it says is forgive them Because you're forgiven. In case you're wondering, that doesn't make the offense any small thing. Because the offense was so great that God had to die for it. So some people might think, okay, God forgive me, but I can't forgive them. And if what you're saying is, God, I deserve to be forgiven, but they don't, then what you're saying is, I will now take God's position and I will declare that they owe me more than what God has given me. Here's what I need you to know. Forgiveness is a gift. And it's a gift that God gives to be shared. It's a gift for you, but to share with them. And forgiven people have to, need to, must be forgiving people. And when we forgive someone, it's not because they deserve it, it's because he deserves it. I hope you get that. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Now, let me say this in forgiving someone, that's not the same thing as trust. Forgiveness is a free gift, trust is something you have to earn. And also, forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. So when you forgive someone, you're not just letting them go. You're not letting them off the hook, so to speak. Instead, what you're saying is, I'm giving this over to the Lord. I'm putting it in his hands. Lord, you deal with them. You deal with me. I'm taking it out of my hands. I'm putting it into your hands. And so when you forgive someone, you're not letting them get away with everything. You're allowing yourself to get away from everything. Everything, everything that would hold you back, everything that would make you stuck. In addition, another reason to forgive is that it becomes a witness to others. When we're hurting, we're emotional, we're frustrated, we're angry, we can't take it anymore. We forget that non-Christians are watching. And the world never tires of Christians fighting Christians because for us to say, hey, we are a forgiven family of loving people who beat each other, would you like to join us? They'd say, no, you're a hypocrite family. I don't see love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. What I see is flame throwing and internet trolling and commenting. And did you know that there's a physical element to this as well? Research shows, proven, that those who practice forgiveness, their blood pressure goes down. The rate of heart trouble goes down. Ulcers go down. The inability to sleep goes down. But the duration and quality of life go up. That literally, some of you, through bitterness, hurt, unforgiveness, it's robbing you of health. It's robbing you of sleep. And some people are so obsessed by all the people that have hurt them, they're stalking them on social media and they're trying to figure out what their life is doing and obsessing over them. If that's you, you need to find some resolution. And then relationally as well. When we hurt, we think wrongly that it will only affect you and that other person. It won't affect the rest of your relationships But by virtue of it affecting you at all, it affects all of your relationships. Bitterness, unforgiveness, a nursed grudge, a hurt, a record of wrongs. It causes you to be a hurt person. And as a result of being a hurt person, you want to control all of your relationships. So some of those you may idolize. You say, look, I'm hurt I need somebody. I need somebody to come in. I need somebody to be my say, Will you come and save me, fix me, help me? You can idolize someone. Or you can demonize because you've been in a bad relationship. Demonize all relationships. Well, I just can't trust anybody then. I'm not going to put myself out there anymore. I'm just going to be isolated, live like I don't belong to anybody. As a result of you being hurt, you want to control all of your relationships. So what's the solution? The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is forget the past. I want to press forward into God's will for my future. You know, it's fine to say, look, I forgive you. I love you. I see things in your life. I really want those things to change because I want good for you. And I fear that if they don't change, life is not going to go well. I love you very much. I'm here to support you. But I need to move on with my life because I can't do this. I would hope the same for you. I hope you'd feel the same thing. But I can't make that decision for you. You have to make it. And lastly, I want you to see this. When the Bible speaks of forgiveness, it oftentimes mentions the Holy Spirit in partnership with that forgiveness. And here's why. Because to forgive someone is not easy. It requires a supernatural, miraculous occurrence by the power of God. One more scripture passage from Ephesians chapter 4 begins this way for us. In your anger, do not sin. Is it a sin to be angry? Not always. Jesus gets angry. Anger is a powerful emotion, and you need to put your will over your emotions and let that anger drive you toward Jesus' and forgiveness rather than vengeance and the demonic. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, today's anger may not be a problem. Yesterday's anger is a real problem if it still is there for you. It's where you're dragging hurt and anger from one day into the next, and you've started this cascade of events that just keeps happening, one person after another, one thing after another, and pretty soon you've got a real problem. And then Paul says, "Do not give the devil a foothold." You see, Satan and and demons are waiting for you to be hurting. Because then you're weak and vulnerable. Satan and demons are waiting for you to be in a place where you are exhausted and weak and empty and hurting. And that foothold becomes a stronghold. And that stronghold becomes a stranglehold. Do not let give the devil a foothold. Skipping a verse, Paul continues. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. It's going to require a lot of prayer but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit wants you to do the supernatural, to love, to forgive, to bless. Satan and demons want you to do the natural, to curse, to hate. Some of you will undoubtedly say, I can't do what God is asking me to do. And I'm sorry for what you're going through. I I truly am. But you need to know that by hanging on to that hurt, you're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. And God loves you. And we love you. And we want you to get delivered from bondage and get healed from hurt. And the Holy Spirit does that in the final two verses. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. We are forgiven people. So we are forgiving people. And we've received the Holy Spirit. You see, once you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit allows you to have the supernatural ability to forgive. There's no reason to spend the rest of your life in torment, being haunted and harassed and discouraged and oppressed. Forgive them. In the name of Jesus Christ, because it's good for you and it's good for your family. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.